Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome everyone to this episode of Common Grounds Unity. I'm Tina Bruner, your co-host and co-hosting again this week with Mitch Mitchell. And we are in a series called Healthy Church. And I'm really excited that we have Dr. Kent Smith with us, who was a previous guest on episodes 45 and 46, where we discussed Joy Fueled, which he co-authored with John White and Tony Daniels. If you haven't listened to these, we encourage you to do that and also check out other works by Kent. He and his wife are founders of the Eden Community and co-founder of LK10, Luke 10. Kent John and Tony have written the next book in the series titled Relational Revolution, Five Shifts for Rediscovering Church as Heart-to-Heart Connection. Kent, welcome back to the podcast. And Mitch, thanks again for co-hosting with me. Uh, Mitch, let me start with you. How are you doing? How are things going? Things are good here in North Carolina, and uh, it's great to be back and great to have uh, you and Kent back. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading and uh, trying to practice some of the things, Kent, from your first book and uh, have read through your second book a couple of times. Uh, Can you just start us off by talking to us about the why of this new book? Why write this book now? Sure. And it's a real pleasure to be back on Common Grounds uh, with you all. Um, Well, as we say in the introduction, this book is really a product of a big change in our plans. Um, John White and I go back to 2003 when we met and began to uh, co-conspire and collaborate. Both of us had a lot of training at that point, both in working in churches and working as church planters and Mm -hmm. training church planters and missionaries for decades at the time. And so John and I found ourselves on a lot of common ground to use a to use a useful metaphor at the moment. And uh, uh, we uh, really loved uh, talking to each other and uh, reflecting on what was becoming more and more clear to both of us at that point, which was that revolutionary change was coming to Western church culture. And uh, we began to explore uh, what it might look like to um, prepare and train leaders for the changes that were ahead. Didn't really know fully what that entailed. But in 2008, with a small team, we started Luke 10 uh, with a vision of empowering people to uh, join God in in the vision of a vibrant family of Jesus in close reach of everyone in the world. Um, A tall order, and we realize all along that we only have a bit part to play in that grand story, but it obviously is on God's heart, and it was on our hearts to, to pursue that. So we rocked along for about 10 years, and um, in 2015, Tony Daniels and her husband, Matt, joined us on the team, um, former missionaries to Uruguay and uh, wonderfully um, astute 
under, uh, leaders in understanding um, a lot of the cultural challenges that face us in the Western world. And um, so Tony helped us a lot over the next several years to really raise the bar. We were, we were by then, I think, in 39 countries or something and just continuing to see interests all over the world. And um, so we, in 2018, uh, kind of retreated uh, to kind of just pause and take note of what it seemed that God was doing in Luke 10. There were all kinds of amazing reports coming in from leaders in many contexts, cultures, and uh, different kinds of social settings. And we wanted to just pay attention. And in the process of that, we identified the five values that are highlighted in this new book. What we knew as we kind of put that together is this is a this is a lot to hold together at one time. Our our short statement is um, Luke 10 is a network of joy-fueled, Jesus-led communities of practice that are equipping spiritual parents to nurture ecosystems of grace. That's quite a mouthful. Um, and we realized that if we were going to unpack those five values at a level that people could actually implement them, we were going to need to write probably a separate book for each one. So that was our next project, and we we launched into Joy Fueled, and uh, were able to publish that in 2018. Uh, was well, very well received, became a bestseller, and um, we were working on book two, Jesus Led, um, last year in 2022, and we're getting well on the way on that book and at a, at a writing retreat in Tennessee. And while we were there, um, it kind of hit us, um, you know, at this rate. It's going to be a long time before we get all five of these books written. And meanwhile, this amazing thing is happening um, all over the world. Maybe the need of the hour is to um, stop working on this book and write a different book. We were thinking about the the, the uh, metaphor of a lot of times in clinical trials on, um, on a new medication. If things are going extraordinarily well, the, the uh, people who are running the trial will stop it just because they see that uh, this this medication is making such a wonderful difference in people's lives. They want everybody to have it, not just those who are uh, in the test group. And that was kind of our sense was just, we need to get the word out. Um, this is this is so important that we need to write a, an overview book, not not a in-depth book, but an overview book that kind of catches the, the big picture. Uh, so, as John White liked to say, uh, he said, "While we were, while we were writing, Jesus led. Jesus led us to write a different book, and uh, <laughs> so that's how this book kind of came came to be." That's awesome, um, because this podcast and this topic in particular is part of this series, Healthy Church, and the five core declarations or core ideas that can on how these can help the church you just mentioned, which is a mouthful for sure. Can you say, uh, like maybe pick one of the, of the core declarations or, or maybe there's a theme that can run through them that talks about how leaders and people can become healthy societies of Jesus. Hmm. And you mentioned, I'm really excited that you mentioned how it does have such a wide, um, practitioners from many cultures. I have a friend from Afghanistan when we're talking about church or um, different things, he was like, don't try to make it Afghan. Let's just stay with 
what is biblical and mm. it will adjust itself in our culture. And um, I think we've lost that in America for sure uh, mm. to some degree, but is there, is there a way that you can kind of like tie a thread through, you know, if one or two of the, of the core values or core principles and, and share with us, like how that is making a change. Sure. Well, um, it's such a great series theme for uh, Common Grounds to be focusing on healthy church. I think in the 40 years or so that I've been working with churches and planting and training folks at various levels um, through grad school, um, I don't believe I've ever seen such a hunger for answers to what could we do to be more healthy as a church. I think folks inside and out of the church are curious about that. Uh, most folks probably are aware of some of the writing over the last couple of decades. Uh, George Barnard and several other demographers in the early 2000s were sort of signaling the alarm that things are shifting, people are leaving, uh, there's a need for change. Um, in 2015, a, a church demographer, Josh Packard, um, conducted a very large study in which he concluded that 65 million adults in America have left church. Mm. Um, and not all of them have left God by a long shot. Um, many of them are church leaders and elders and preachers and ministers of various kinds. And um, But they, they are just have been unable to continue doing church as they've known it. And looking for what does healthy church look like, I think is... Um, is um, as widespread as I've ever seen it, for sure. Mm -hmm. COVID didn't help any, uh, <laughs> or maybe it did. It, it, it certainly has made it clear. Maybe it did. You know, yeah, mm -hmm. maybe it's made it even more clear that we just have to address some of the fundamental cultural issues. And they're not just church issues, they're Western culture issues that are causing people to lose a sense of connection with one another, with what's true and spiritual and divine and a longing for how can we get back to health, you know? So I think it's a great theme. Um, yeah, so Tina, maybe I could just uh, touch on a couple of the er, the ones that are early in the book, and and then um, we can unpack um, whatever else feels like it'd be helpful. Um, really, all of these uh, themes um, kind of hark back to sort of the core one of our core convictions as Christians, which is God is love, sort of the foundational uh, understanding of the nature of God deeply informs each of these five values. So joy-fueled um, is um, alluding to the fruit and the fuel of love, which is joy. Um, I love the, the you know, I'll do a quick quick uh, jump into the Greek here because it's it's so meaningful to me. There's a cluster of words in Greek um, that all have the root joy uh, connected to them. Um, we would pronounce it kar, but uh, so kara is joy in Greek. Charis is a gift, that which brings joy. It's, it's kind of intuitively obvious. And then eucharistia. Sometimes we don't catch the car in that one, but it's uh, gratitude or thanks or joy returned is a good mm -hmm. way to think about Eucharistia. Um, that constellation of words and ideas, we have something similar 
in English with the word grace and gracious and gratitude. Um, um, but all of these constellations of words talk about sort of the fundamental flow or the dance of love and joy. So um, I, if I love you, give you a gift that will bless you. And um, in that act of love, you receive um, a, a shot of joy, right? Uh, you receive that joy, whether it's a smile, a compliment, a wedding ring. I mean, it can, you know, across the spectrum, it can be a lot of different kinds of gifts. But I give you a gift, you receive it with joy, and you naturally say, why, thank you, um, because gratitude wells up in you, and the joy that I have given to you returns to me. It's the, it's the one thing that we know in all of universal history that produces more than it starts with. Mm. Or like we like to say in Luke 10, it's, it, 10, it's the one regenerative fuel, the one fuel that only expands as it is expressed. And um, so to be joy-fueled is really to be living in the life of God. Sometimes I like to say love grows in the dance of joy between gift and gratitude. And so that, that joy fuel, which is really God's own life, is the thing that fuels, I think, healthy churches and is the foundation for us having the staying power, uh, not running out of fuel as we mm -hmm. seek to follow God and enter into often the hard things that discipleship and faithfulness to God calls us into. Jesus said, for the joy set before him, right? He endured the cross. You have to have something that gives you the fuel to go through the hard stuff. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of believers these days are are running on empty and desperately looking for more. So that's the first one. This, I'll, I'll mention the second one, Jesus led. So Jesus led, um, like joy-fueled, joy-fueled represents an alternative to a gospel of duty and obligation that all too often has driven a lot of our church experience. Jesus led represents a contrast to um, a world where God is not really present um, and we can't really count on God being involved in our lives. It's a what would Jesus do world. It's a, it's a world where we have to guess and speculate and depend on how much information we have uh, to figure out how to do life. The big decisions, the small decisions, it's all about calculation and information because Jesus isn't here. We can't depend on Jesus leading us faithfully. We can't rely on the indwelling Holy Spirit because at a, at a sort of an assumptive level, we are functional deists. <laughs> we are, we are, even though we might um, strongly react to the idea of notion of being living in a world where God's not present all too often, that's how we live. One of my good friends in uh, South Carolina, Clemson, uh, gave me a t-shirt not too long ago that I love. <laughs> it says, uh, RFD, Recovering Functional Deist. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Trying to get over that. But, well, what's the alternative to that? Well, God's love is relentlessly made available to us. We, we are not left to figure this life out on our own. We're not left to our own devices, our own best guesses, our own best strength. We live in a world, according to Jesus, where God is with us. Uh, Emmanuel himself is our promise that God is with us. 
And what he told us is, I will leave you a comforter who will guide you into all the truth. And um, so the New Testament writers routinely encourage us to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, not to quench the Spirit, because we have a guide who's with us. And uh, if we began to live as though that were true, how would that change our world? So joy-fueled, Jesus-led, those are two of the core um, values that we outline, and those two alone can rock a, rock a community or an individual's world if we take them seriously. Kent, and that's incredible. Uh, it kind of leads to where I was going to go on uh, chapter four about communities of practice. I, I, in my mind, what I'm trying to do with this, and you can uh, you know, come back at me with your thoughts on this, is we're redefining church. Uh, most of my life has been in the ministry the same church, but trying to redefine strategy. Uh, what someone has said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking for cultural change. And, and your uh, declaration under communities of practice in the chapter says, we are communities of practice living in the alternative story God is telling. One is, as you said, you've already t- covered some of this, one of love, joy, peace and hope. We realize that loving well takes practice. We realize that loving well takes practice, especially because we want to grow to spontaneously love others, even those who disagree with us or oppose us. So so if we're switching from this distant God who's maybe there, but very, very distant to this community of practice, uh, what, what kind of life-giving ideas pop in your mind from this this particular declaration? In other words, how is it going to look differently if we're practicing loving each other well versus, uh, I don't know, people my age that are 70 who have kind of been in church for a long time, but it's more of a spectator thing, right? And so mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people I get with, some for coaching, that have been in groups a long time, but they're not growing, they're shriveling. The groups aren't thick. The groups aren't doing this. So your thoughts on that idea, just the idea of being communities of practice that are very different from maybe what uh, we, we've been a part of most of our life. So yeah. respond there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, again, I think it's helpful to think in terms of compare and contrast. So, um, you know, part of what you were just describing is sounds kind of like an idea club. You know, we get together, we swap ideas. Mostly we listen to someone tell us some ideas that we all hold to be true and important. There's some some help to be found in that, but it's it's fundamentally a different thing than a community of practice, right? It's This is not a once a week uh, idea swapping. This is a, uh, a 24-7 life together um, project. And, you know, if you, if you have done much, um, in any, in any field where, where learning is, is essential, not just something you get paid for, where actual learning is essential, what you'll find is, um, in, in areas where competence is necessary, communities of practice are right there. You know, if you're learning to play, uh, tennis, or if you're learning to, play the violin, or uh, you're learning to sell insurance, or you're learning to pilot an airplane. The way these things are learned, is there a book component to it sometimes? But there's always a 
sit down in the co-pilot seat here, watch me while I flip this switch and next that switch, and then push this lever. You watch me. We'll go, we'll take, we'll take this flight together. And next time I'm going to let you push two levers. Uh, there's a, there's a fancy educational uh, term for this called legitimate peripheral participation. Huh. And it basically just means you got something meaningful to do. You're doing it on the edge of the enterprise, but you're learning as you do. And as a result, you become more competent over time, right? Communities of practice. Well, right. we understand that that's the only way anybody grows competent in any field, except often in our faith. And it's there, there we sort of think, well, if I just had enough truth, I would rush out and become, be a competent practitioner. But our claim and our conviction is that, no, actually, to be a good lover, you have to practice loving. And you have to do it with real people because that's the nature of love. You have to do it with God. You have to do it with those that God has called you to love. And so communities of practice is the very foundation of us being transformed into the image of Christ. It was the way Jesus did it, right? He, he, didn't, he didn't stand on a hill somewhere and say, here's true things about God. No, he, he called together um, a band of brothers and a band of sisters that joined them on a journey doing life together for three years, day in, day out. Um, that's how you learn this new kingdom, this new way of life that is a fundamental um, challenge to the world that we live in, but also great news to the world we live in as we live it out in love. Um, maybe that's... That's a, sure. enough uh, to, to touch on that for the moment anyway. Good. Thank you. But don't you think that when that does happen, then it really it really does show something different to the world, which makes it, it's almost like the good news being lived out among people that draws them to that type of community. You know, as you're sharing about like life in community and it's 24-7 and it's like kind of that's the example that Jesus demonstrated. And in our world now, we're so polarized and we also do church in a really independent, individual way. And mm -hmm. so what impact do you think it has on the world that's watching the church to see it in the way that you're describing it? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, it's pretty transparent. People are... Uh, our people, and they they know when they see good news, and they know when they see something that's not good news, you know. And mm -hmm. the the fact that the church in just in the U.S. has lost sixty five million adults in the last uh, two or three decades is a pretty clear indicator that even people inside the church are not experiencing church as good news, as as life giving. Mm -hmm. And so um, those who are outside the church see that and you know say you know, thanks, but no thanks. But uh, the good news on in that story is when when there is a group that's authentically living into this kind of interdependent intergenerational community of God's love, where it's really a lifestyle and not simply um, a group that agrees on some ideas, uh, then that's transparently, effervescently, beautifully appealing to folks. You know, Jesus said that would be the case, right? By this will all folks know that you're my disciples, by the quality of the love that you have for one another. Well, what's that quality? Well, my, my commandment to you is love one another like I have loved you. 
where is that kind of community happening? Uh, where Where is that kind of stunningly beautiful life together happening? Wherever it is, I can tell you there are people who are saying, how can I drop everything I have to get in on that? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really something, something to really think about. Yep. So, and I love your idea too of, you know, it's not idea swapping, you know, <laughs> or idea agreement. In chapter six is titled Nurturing Ecosystems of Grace. We talk a little bit about, about that idea, the nurturing ecosystems of grace. Yeah, this, this one is the one that I can, can, uh, I take about 40 hours in a graduate course to try to unpack. So you'll, you may have to stop me on this. All right, one. let's get a drink, everybody. Let's grab some coffee. We're in it to win it. You know, I think that theme, nurturing ecosystems of grace, invites us to come back to the core questions of what is, what is God really after here? Um, where is this story going? You know, and I, I talked about this in our previous podcast a little bit, but when I'm when I'm working with uh, students, uh, undergraduate or graduate, I know I often only have uh, about forty seconds of their attention before it drifts. So I try to try to say the whole story uh, in about that amount of time, and I'll share that with you here because I think it's specifically uh, related to your question. So the way I like to talk about the big story in which we all find ourselves is this. In the beginning was joy. In the end will be deeper joy. And in between is an astounding invitation. Come and share in our joy. And uh, so that, um, that idea uh, that harks back to the very earliest days of creation, um, even before uh, God said, let us make people in our own image. Even before God planted a garden called delight or joy in Hebrew, Eden. Even before the eternal word spoke. Even before the spirit hovered over the chaos. There was a community, a communion of joy. There was a family of delight. And um, if we fast forward through scripture, Fast forward past the fall, past God's promise to Abraham uh, to send a, uh, send a descendant who would bless all the peoples. Fast forward past God sending God's own self into the world in the form of Jesus and the community that God established through Jesus that would bear his life. We go all the way to the end of scripture, those last verses of the last chapter. There we find the community of delight once again. There's the Father. There's the Son, the Lamb who is slain. There's the Spirit. But there's another. And she is a beautiful bride. She, along with the Spirit, invites all of us to come. Right? And she is made up of the peoples, all the tongues and tribes and families and nations that bear the divine DNA imparted in that first family. God's plan all along has been deeper joy. Wow. So if we get clear about the story that we've fallen into, as, as Samwise Gamgee uh, 
beautifully <laughs> coined in his conversation with Frodo one day. If we get clear about the story into which we've fallen, um, then it shapes everything about our understanding of what it is that we are called to do and to be. Um, in the book of Ephesians, I think Ephesians and Colossians represent some of the most mature thinking in the New Testament about the nature of the church. Um, and they elevate this family to cosmic significance. Um, this um, ecosystem, uh, the, the original Greek word there is ekonomia. Sometimes we translate that economy, but it's much more than money. It's the sharing of life. It's the sharing of everything that was characteristic of the oikos, the household system of the ancient world, right? So when you think about that household, don't think American nuclear family, mom, dad, and the kids. Think the Waltons. Think mom, dad, the kids, a couple of people working with you in the family sawmill business, all sharing meals together, doing life together, this whole way of life that is an extended family of aunts and uncles, grandparents, uh, children, grandchildren, cousins, interacting, intersecting. Um, that's the oikos world that permeated the entire Mediterranean world. That's the world of the New Testament. Whenever uh, they talk about family or they talk about household, they use household words. That's what everybody has in mind. You know, so in, in Ephesians, we're told that it is God's plan. It's been God's plan from the get-go to bring everything together, heaven and earth, everything together under the headship of Jesus through this ecosystem, this economia of God's big plan. It's been hidden, but now it's been disclosed. Mm -hmm. And in chapter 3 and 4, he continues to unpack that. But in chapter 3, he, he explicitly says this ecosystem is God's specific plan to display God's multifaceted wisdom, even to the powers and the principalities. And what is it? It's the ecclesia. It's this called out, called together community that is the new family that God has formed, where God is the Father, Jesus is our brother, um, and our guide, our Holy Spirit is among us. And we are not metaphorically or theoretically but we are actually brothers and sisters where each one of us has a part to play, a role to contribute that is critically important for the health of the whole. Um, so again, <laughs> I could keep rattling on, but that um, idea of church as an ecosystem of grace is um, so powerful and so beautiful. Let me give you a, a concrete example of what I'm talking about just to maybe put a little more flesh on this. Two weeks ago in our little community, we were gathered for our Sunday meeting. We share a meal together, typically share the Lord's Supper together, and uh, then do various things. Depends on what's going on. We've got a lot of little children. And this particular week, the children have been planning for a whole week to, to uh, share a talent show with us. So uh, all the adults are sitting around and the, the kids are... Um, dressed up in costumes, and they are so excited to share with us what they've been practicing. Um, and there are two two little girls. One one was adopted, and others had some serious um, challenges of, of another nature. And uh, they're both pretty shy in as a consequence of some of what they've experienced. 
um, but they both had a, a karaoke piece. So, um, and so they bravely marched out in front of us all, and the first one began to sing. And at first, she was very, very quiet. But as the um, as the crowd roared its approval, her voice grew stronger and stronger. And uh, so um, pretty soon the other girl came out and it was a similar thing. She was very hard to hear at first, but as she felt the, the love and the affection in the room for her, um, she began to really uh, sing much more boldly. And by the end of the time, both girls were just... Uh, Uh, just dancing. That's great. So, um, you know, so we've often used the axiom, it takes a village to raise a child. Actually, it takes a village to raise all of us. We're all intended to live in interdependent Mm. intergenerational communities of God's love where, um, where we really are seen, where we really are heard, where we really are understood and celebrated and called forth and worked with in our struggles and our challenges. All of us long to be known. It's it's built into our divine DNA. And uh, we've been living such shallow and superficial lives for so long. It's become such a norm that we, we only get to long for these things as we watch movies uh, or mm-hmm. uh, animated pictures that remind us all how much we long for that kind of community. But it's not simply a pipe dream. It's always been God's plan for God's people to live that way. And we can. In your example, Kent, it's so interesting that as those girls like step into that feeling of acceptance and joy and love, I mean, the way that they shine from the inside out like is um, like a beautiful picture of what happens to us when we're part of that ecosystem, the ability that we have to do more than we think we can because we're accepted in a way. And then the blessing that they were to the, to the group, it, you're right. It's the result is more joy. And mm-hmm. I love that example. That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And closing for me, I, yeah, I had a different question, but you know, John's not here so we can kind of sneak something <laughs> else in. Right. Kent, I'm kidding. Uh, it, it's just such a different paradigm shift from, you know, I kind of grew up with what I call silo ministries, right? So Mm -hmm. you would have children's ministry, campus ministry, singles ministry, you know, the whole bit all the way through. And we're really talking about, A, something that's intergenerational, uh, interracial, uh, both male and female. So it's, it's not a spectator sport as much as it is a community that's a community that's totally together and totally doing things together. The only thing we have done that that is significant at this point, because we're just starting, is having uh, a meal together, Hmm. you know? And and it's a a very important uh, for us because we see people who have, are part of those nuns Mm -hmm. that you talked about, that I I know that are no longer in churches, but I've been in the same area for 40 years, they come in and it's refreshing. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like a breath of fresh air or, or you know, cold water, you know, Proverbs says. Uh, and, and maybe you can just comment on that a little bit. I, I feel like 
I haven't lost my view that I need to see text in context, but now I see John 13 through 17 that Jesus was a host of this incredible Eucharist, to use your word, right? Mm -hmm. He hosted this meal. It's it's not bigger buildings, but longer tables uh, in my mind. So maybe you want to comment on that or go a different direction, but uh, that's my last thoughts for you to see where you take that. But it's refreshing for me, so you know, and I'm just... And I don't even know where, I guess I'm like, I don't know what to do next, you know, and and maybe that's a good place to be. So comment there. It might help others. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a a series of wonderful churches. My dad was a church planner, dad and mom, wonderful people, great hearts, love the Lord and, and love the world and invested heavily in it. I think we were just operating with some, some, um, misguided notions about the nature of church. Um, I think about commonplace comments that you would hear often when we assembled. One of the ones that came up sometimes, uh, someone would get innovative and say, well, we're glad to, uh, we're glad to be here together and we're glad to welcome the Lord as our special guest among us here, along with our other guests. And, um, you know, that mostly went without comment, but um, it would be way more accurate to say, first of all, um, the Lord doesn't ever leave us, so we're not suddenly stepping into the presence of the Lord. Um, but um, the Lord never asked us to set up a situation where he could be our special guest. Actually, he offered to be the master of ceremony for our whole life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, to to again to begin to think outside the boxes of of a lot of things that we've inherited often by the best of people uh no no discredit to all of us all of us live with the legacy of what we have inherited and um as the book emphasizes really what we're talking about is a shift in culture and one of the things about culture shifts is you don't see culture until it stops working for you you know much like a fish doesn't doesn't uh, notice the water around it. Our culture, um, all of those values that we've absorbed through the stories that we've experienced and the settings where we find ourselves and the systems that have been set up to help us connect those stories with that setting, all of those factors are mostly invisible to us most of the time. It's just when it becomes obvious they aren't working anymore that we begin to, to question, well, am I thinking straight here? And Often uh, in those moments, we, we get a new kind of clarity about, oh, I've been assuming this because this is what my culture taught me. Um, you, you alluded earlier, Mitch, to the, to the axiom, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, and that, that axiom is very, very true. Um, we, we tend to strategize, but don't recognize that the things that are, are habitually our convictions that we constantly are acting on um, are almost impossible to overthrow without great intentionality, without great uh, careful care, caregiving uh, thought to that. So, um, you know, the good news for folks who are finding themselves either in a church system that feels like it's kind of broken or just not as healthy as it could be, or folks who have just said, I'm done, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's that's people in the tens of millions at this point. Um, but wherever we find ourselves, the good news is that the kingdom of God, when it shows up, as Jesus pointed out in that wonderful story, uh, is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when someone who's 
walking along stumbles across it and actually sees it for what it's worth. Uh, it is such great news that they're ready to drop everything to get back in on it. And uh, so I think as we begin to reexamine our culture, this book, I think, is a helpful launching pad for at least asking some of the important questions around that. Um, then God's always there, present, to help us find our way into the new culture that actually does fit, the wineskins that are appropriate for our time and our place, the skills, the gifts, the story that is represented by the community that's gathering. So it's a big adventure. It's a, a tall order. Uh, I've never done anything more difficult in my life in the, the forming of these kinds of communities, but it's also the most richly rewarding, and it's it's life. You know, it's it's the thing Jesus promised. You know, he told uh, he told his disciples, "When you're following me, you may well lose your mother, your father, your family, your fields, your work. Um, but if you do, in this world you'll have a hundred times as much and life." In the world to come. Hmm. And uh, of course, he wasn't throwing that out there as a sort of an interesting metaphor. He was saying to the Jewish person or to the Roman person who goes home to their nuclear, their extended family, their oikos, mom, dad, I'm going to start following Jesus, the, the crucified savior. And mom and dad, um, nine times out of 10, some huge percentage of the time would say, well, you've just denied the true faith. You've become a threat to our family business. You've dishonored our family. You're no longer a part of this family. Mm. And in that situation, Jesus said, but you have a new family. God's going to be your father. I'm going to be your brother. We'll do life together. And you're going to have a hundred times more than you could have possibly had in that nuclear family. And that's how it was for three centuries in the early churches. And against incredible opposition, uh, they literally saturated the Roman Empire with the good news of life that's being lived in that kind of rich, interdependent, intergenerational way. We can still do that. Some version of that, as God calls us where we are, um, won't be easy, but it's well worth it, I think. I agree. Yeah. Let us have ears to hear. That is for mm. sure. Mm-hmm. We, it's hard to to shift when we're not in a posture of really listening and asking the kind of questions and books like yours are a good guide mm. to be able to have those conversations. And I'm just reminded all the time that we have to have a humility and a posture of learning if, if we want to be able to shift mm-hmm. and, um, mm. and you're right, it takes work and <laughs> a lot of us are averse to like, <laughs> the difficult things the like dying to ourselves to be able to experience that joy and, and what you're talking about. And another place in your book, you write how we govern ourselves as a family and or a larger community has the power to fuel these five core values of the kingdom of God or undermine them. Mm. Like as we close, would, would you just expand on your thoughts about that? Sure. Well, governance is one of those really critical components of a culture that, again, we mostly take for granted. We don't think about how we make decisions as a group. Um, We mostly inherit something that is already in place when we were born. Um, And whether we're born into an autocratic society or a patriarchal society or a democratic society or 
wherever we were born, we tend to assume that that's the way things are done, right? Um, And when I was a boy, the church made its big decisions with the men's business meeting, right? And and it was Robert's Rules of Order. That was how you you got decisions made. Majority rule was the, the thing. Well, uh, you know, God's God's gracious and God works with us in all of our frailty. But we actually have another promise from God, which is that God is present and God will lead us if we're paying attention. If we're if we have hearts, as you were saying, Tina, that are um, that are open, that are humble, that are ready to receive the good word that God wants to give us in any time and situation. So becoming communities of practice around attending to God and to God in one another is one of the tall orders, I think, for people who have mostly made decisions on other bases besides that, uh, on the assumption that God's not really here, right? So we have to do the best we can. We'll choose by vote or we'll choose by lots or we'll choose by, you know, saying someone is God's agent from heaven and and uh, we'll listen to them until that doesn't work so well. Um, but, but in fact, the community of Christ has always had a guide among us who would lead us as we learn to pay d- careful attention to one another. Um, and, you know, the way that works out practically is you really begin to pay careful attention to the voice of God in the community that God has given you. I'll give you an example. Um, some years ago, our community was in the process of looking for land to buy together, and um, we had uh, we had talked about a a piece of land that that belonged to some some dear friends of my wife, um, and we had an early conversation with them, and they just said, "No, sorry, that land is not for sale um, for you." Um, and uh, so we looked some more. We looked for close to two years. We had finally come up with a thirty-acre plot that seemed to have some some good features to it. We weren't totally happy with it. It was we were, we were looking to build a, a bit of a retreat center and training center for uh, regenerative life and uh, we we knew this wasn't going to be ideal, but we didn't have any other good options. So we were about to make the offer, but we're in the community and we're we're sitting around in a circle and um, one of the brothers, one of the younger guys actually said, "You know, um I can consent to this this decision, but only if we chat with um, with Karen's friends one more time. So it had been two years since we'd had that conversation, but we all agreed. Okay, well we'll we'll wait and and uh, talk to them. So what we didn't know was that two weeks prior to that, our friend um, Truett had been standing on a on an overlook on this this uh, property that we had first been interested in. And he was looking down on a, a section of it that had once belonged to a former slave, a beautiful, beautiful, uh, about 93-acre plot. And uh, he was talking to the Lord on his birthday, his 70th birthday. And he was saying, Lord, we've we've always felt like since we bought this property 25 years ago that this part of our land was set aside for a special purpose that you might have for it. Is that going to happen in my lifetime? So he was asking the Lord a very concrete question, and he said, I didn't hear any voices, but I did have this just deep sense of assurance that, yes, um, this land is going to be occupied by um, people for the very purposes that you're sensing, and uh, it's going to happen pretty soon. So two weeks after that experience, the Truett had, I give him this call. Hey, Truett, we're about ready to put an offer on 
30 acres, but we wanted to check with you guys one more time and see if anything had changed. Well, there was a long pregnant pause on the phone. And then Tritt said, well, as a matter of fact, yeah, let's get together and have coffee. And, um, and that was the moment that um, God took us from to uh, owning 93 acres, uh, beautiful land and uh, that is the center, the Eden Center for Regenerative Culture today. But it was one community member's discernment that this is, um, I still don't feel peace about this, that led us to really hearing what the Lord had to say and what the Lord had for us. Um, that I could multiply so many different levels at which that can work between a husband and a wife, a family, a community. We call it divine governance, and it's a it's a process that just basically takes very seriously the, the truth that God is here. God is with us. And if we learn to pay attention together, as well as individually, we can follow the lead of the Good Spirit. That's amazing. That's great. So uh, I, I, I know Tina will close out about uh, Common Grounds. I just want to let people know again, Relational Revolution, uh, if they go to Amazon or wherever they go, to, and your name, Kent, Dr. Kent Smith, other names will pop up. But I, I think uh, I, I read in the conclusion and, and just read this. And then, uh, Kent, if you want to share something else, fine. Well, Tina can close out. But to me, this was uh, just a good way to sum up. You, you say in your conclusion, understanding that we see God in each other's eyes means that church cannot simply be a service where there are few leaders and many spectators. This cannot only be about intellectually believing the right things and trying hard to live them out. While there is value in good teaching and large group worship, and we would all agree with that, this is not the full essence of the New Testament church. Church, ecclesia, the called out community of God, for us has become emotionally healthy family relationships, inducing the gifts, the God design, and the calling from each other hmm. and uh, it just ties so well in and i know we both want to thank you it ties so well into our discussion of healthy church hmm. for a lot of people uh i believe we i have brothers and sisters in legacy church and small churches and i've even been able to travel to africa when you know the people the, some of the poorest of the poor i mean they have church in there little shacks and they're just, just their neighbors right with them. So it's, it's really more about understanding deeply the presence of God and healthy relationships. And I, I really appreciate your thoughts, the books you've written thus far and the help you've given us today. And uh, if you want to respond to that conclusion, fine, or Tina can close us out, but thank you very much, Kent, for being here today. Kent, I, I would ask, like, would you share more about the center other resources, ways people can connect with yeah. you, what might be next for you in writing or practice, or just share a little bit with our listeners, like how they can take an, a next step in this direction. Sure. Well, um, it's such a joy to be with you guys. I think our, our hearts are connected so deeply around the, the common cause here. I love, I love um, sort of the core premise of common grounds, which is that something special happens when even a few friends, right, get together and 
attend carefully to one another, see Christ in one another. Um, and again, what we're what we're talking about there is not merely metaphorical. It's actually God showing up. You know, when we when we take time to really hear, listen to, and learn with and for one another, it's uh, it's it's the kingdom of God breaking in in a, in a fresh way, and it uh, it pushes back the darkness and it it brings in the light and it empowers us to be the men and women that God has called us to be. Um, yeah, I I uh, love the the privilege of um, living into this kind of community, and I we invite people to to uh, explore it with us. Um, the book is a good way to kind of take a next step if you haven't um, read Relational Revolution. Um, it's a it's a it's meant to be a good introduction to some of these big ideas. Um, at the end of Relational Revolution, we mentioned several other um, groups and organizations that are working in parallel with Luke 10 um, to help foster various elements of this. Um, the Eden community that I'm a part of is especially focused on what what this culture looks like, you know, the stories, the settings, the systems, and how we begin to lean into the things that God's inviting us to wherever we are locally. And there's uh, contact information there uh, for, for those who would like to look at it. Or you can look us up at uh, EdenCenter.org. Um, the other thing I would just say is um, if you want a deeper taste of all this, we, we do an annual gathering uh, called the Foundations for Regenerative Culture here in Abilene. We get to stay on the campus of Abilene Christian University. Uh, we do kind of a deep dive five days, four nights uh, of being together and thinking hard about how how we can understand the cultures that we are a part of and how we can reform those with the Spirit's help to really be a, a, a blessing where it is that God's called us. So those would be a couple of ways to connect. Is that the same time every year? Yeah, it's usually in May after school's out, dorms are empty, and uh, we have a little bit more uh, room on campus. So yeah, um, great. but yeah, you can contact us at, uh, or contact me, smithpk at acu.edu. Uh, and love to love to visit with folks. Yeah, I encourage our listeners to, you know, however you're listening to this podcast, and if you're like me, I'm always like, oh, that sounds like a great idea, and then I listen to another podcast. I'm like, oh, I should check that out. But you know, just take a minute and pause, and and really check out these resources. And you know, I love the opportunity to be practitioners and not just like read and try to imagine from mm -hmm. our past connections or context of church, but really to, to taste that type of community and see how we can start making those cultural shifts. So um, thank you so much, Kent, for being with us. Mitch, thank you for co-hosting with us. We thank our special producer, Chuck, for being with us while John Teal is away. And um, if, if you enjoy or if you share the heart of Common Grounds Unity and even what Kent shared today, and you want to learn more about what Common Grounds Unity is doing, you can go to our website at www.commongroundsunity.org. And this is a ministry as well. And if you want to donate or volunteer or, you know, the uh, even on the podcast, we're all volunteers that just believe in this idea of demonstrated unity for me, I love John 17 and how it's always used, but I 
sometimes I'm frustrated that we we appreciate the idea of unity, but we lose the so that, you know, piece of that. So that's why I love this ministry. So if you'd like to give toward financially or use your talents to help, um, we would love you have to love to have you be part of this. And um, there's an easy step you can take as well in just reaching out to someone within your denominational stream outside and and just get to know them. Reach out to someone, have a cup of coffee, share a meal with someone, and we'll see you next time on the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.